video viv This is the Video for Colleges podcast. I'm Joe Case, higher ed media producer and co-founder of the Video for Colleges blog, which is an educational resource for people who make movies in higher ed. We are looking for contributors. So if you have a thought or a, or a take that can't be expressed in 140 characters, or if you see a video, it could be, even be your video, and you want to review it or share it and, and go into great detail about it, draft something. Reach out, send, send it to me via email. I'm at joeacase at videoforcolleges.com, and, and we'll run it on the blog. Uh, it's just a good way to disseminate your uh, your ideas. So, yeah, please share. Now, uh, this is normally the time of the show when Frank Carley and I engage in some uh, pre-interview banter, but I'm actually sorry to say that episode 19 is completely co-hostless and thus banter-free. just happens to be that time of year, and I'm sure many of you are experiencing that now when the projects are the projects start piling up and it just gets harder and harder to make time for the side stuff. I don't know if anybody else has side stuff, but you're kind of just get wrapped up in the work, and uh, that's kind of where we're at. We actually uh, just wrapped up on one of our most ambitious projects, certainly one of the most ambitious projects I've, I think, ever been a part of, and that includes film school and uh, freelance. It was, in fact, so ambitious that I needed to call for reinforcements. Lucky for me, episode number six guest Joe Chan is no longer a full-time employee of Northeastern's rival school, Boston University. He took his talents to Austin, Texas, where he continues to work in higher ed video as a, as a freelancer. So called him up, checked to see if he was available, interested. He was. I hired him for a, a week of pretty intense animation work. We had a, a, a tight turnaround, and he did not dis- disappoint despite annoying client notes like, can you make the trees look more futuristic without giving much more detail than that? And then, of course, the uh, screenshots I sent him from various Star Trek m- movies. If you're listening, Joe, uh, thank you. It was awesome working with you and... The product speaks for itself, at least your uh, your component of the project. I've left, I hope Joe's okay with this, his uh, contact info in the show notes in case you're looking for an animator to add some production value to your next project. So before I get to the interview, which was supposed to be all about YouTube, I want to share a quick word about the Video for College's YouTube channel. It's sort of my attempt to organize higher ed videos by category so that it's a little easier to find reference material when you when you're working on your next project and your boss wants to know what it's kind of going to look like and you don't really know say you've been asked to produce the university's official commercial uh, at the time of this recording at least there were 54 videos in the higher ed promo playlist you know any one of those might spark an idea or guide you perhaps away from something that's already been done and now you will notice if you go to this playlist uh, some, shall we say, overlap. For instance, I, I think a lot of us are using the same two or three voiceover artists and uh, music bed tracks. Now, that's not to say that redundancy is bad, but if you are in, uh, looking to differentiate, it helps to, I think it helps to be more aware of uh, what else is out there. As I mentioned, YouTube was intended to be the main topic of my conversation with Mike Kurtz, 
who's been producing videos for the University of Dayton for going on 27 years. She's 26, 27 years. Uh, but we did more of a higher ed video history lesson, which turned out to be far more interesting, I think. For instance, in the in the early days when internal video demands were a little more relaxed than they are now and we didn't have quite as many uh, channels to post our stuff, the University of Dayton's media production group kept themselves busy and actually helped pay their bills by uh, cooperating as a production company that served Dayton businesses. Uh, and according to Tyler Back, who now runs a production company in Dayton, Mike's group was kind of the go-to video vendor in, in the city. So they must have been doing excellent work even back then. The two producers, both Tyler and Mike, uh, now collaborate on Dayton projects like the uh, 92nd Lecture Series, which is what originally caught my eye. Tyler joined Mike on the podcast. So, Mike, I'll start with you because it seems like uh, you've got seniority um, and then some. Yeah, Tyler uh, doesn't know much about the history. <laughs> well, how long? So, how long have you been at Dayton? I've been here 26 years. Wow, you might have seniority over everybody. You might be the the, the university videographer uh, emeritus. Well, I don't know how boring this will be, but I'll give you kind of a short history. Yeah, sure. No, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so w we were we were created as part of the School of Business, and mm. they got a grant to put in this facility where they could do some research, uh, market market, uh, some focus group market research, and as well as some computer usability testing, where they would videotape that. And uh, they put in some pretty sophisticated video equipment. They started working with the communication department, a professor in the communication department. Now, I think they thought they could do some kind of research videos to summarize the research. Mm. But the communication uh, teacher had experience in video production and they started doing some videos for the university and even some people outside of the university heard about us. And at that time it was very expensive to have a video facility. So we were able to do some uh, kind of a lower end work for some companies. And so that was in 88. And I got hired as a student worker in 89 and when I graduated in 90, I became the first person full-time doing video as in this department. And then, so there wasn't, we weren't doing a whole lot of research videotaping or, or video reports, and we started doing more video production work. Um, mm -hmm. And so videos for the university, we did some event videos, and we did some videos that promoted certain programs or departments, but they were all, you know, if we were going to, if we were going to share them out, it was a matter of putting it on, on, uh, VHS tape and mass duplicating them and sending them out. What was the then, first thing outside of what I think the intended, um, you know, what, what the intent was, what was the first project you got that was, yeah, was more the, like the kind of stuff that you're doing now? Yeah, this even predates me, but I, the, you know, the first video project, I think it was, was a report about the facility <laughs> and they kind of <laughs> saw the capability. How ironic. Yeah. And then, um, I think after that, they, we had a fire on campus and they wanted to do uh, a report about that to kind of, I think to help with fundraising and that sort of thing. And, and then I mean, what people, was your background? Was it, uh, were you, were you in news? Were you in, I was a video production student, communications Oh wow! in production. And, um, what did so you want I, to do? What were you, why, why was that your major? What were you, uh, 
what what were your what were your sort of career aspirations? I don't know that I knew this coming into the communication department, but as I got into the department and saw what some of the different areas were, I became interested in video production and I wasn't that interested in news. I was much more interested in you know developing uh, corporate videos. I wasn't really a film guy. Either, Hold on, repeat that. You were interested in developing <laughs> corporate videos. <laughs> that sounds like Seems... every every young uh, auteur's dream job. Is that true? I mean, or did I you want to do be honest? Videos. Did you want to make movies, or did you know like? I don't know where that came from. I just I was I, I didn't like the fast pace of of news and kind of the way they, um, you know, news does some great stuff, and and I'm always amazed at at how the kind of quality that they can get in a super short period of time. Yeah. But that wasn't my, I was more interested in having the time to light things. And, uh, and, what and kind I don't of know, stuff at some watching? point, like what, what, I mean, were you, were you a cinephile? Were you somebody who, you know, or did you watch like, um, you know, 60 minutes and that kind of, I mean, what, what kind of, you know, uh, TV, video, movie, what kind of stuff were you into? Yeah, I was kind of an odd duck cause I wasn't really inspired by a lot of that stuff. Huh. I wasn't really into cinema. I wasn't really into movies. I don't know what it was, um, but you know something when I was going through the video classes just really sparked in me that you know the the creatively bringing together video elements and telling a story that that it was always inter- interesting to me, and I don't know at what point I saw the the studios of a local corporate facility, um, but there was uh, the NCR Corporation was headquartered here at that time. NCR, what's what's that? NCR oh, uh, started out as National Cash Register. They they. They make practically all the ATMs now. Okay. They do a lot of computer um, registers and that sort of thing. Um, but they had a video facility here that was phenomenal, and they had probably 20 people working there. Hmm. And so I could see the, you know, kind of the high-end corporate video market and the the kind of things that they put together. And um, so that I was more interested in that. So, so Dayton builds this studio. You're a student at the time and get hired to... You know, in what capacity was it? What was your What was your first What was your title when you were first started at Dayton? Uh, production supervisor. Okay. So they were. Um, I mean, they were small. I think there was one full time person. Well, full time person and her secretary. She was really more on the market research end. And then when they had video projects, they contracted with um, uh, communication professors uh, to actually direct and produce the video. So I was really the first time, uh, the first full time person doing video. Mm. This is going to be fascinating because I don't think I, I think it would be rare to find someone I, 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 um, that has that kind of been uh, sort of be a witness as to the to the sort of the evolution of the video capacity uh, production capacity within a university. So so well, yeah, the, describe the landscape. Um, it's sort of in the earlier yeah, in so, the initial period. I think the interesting thing was that we were a self-supporting department. So Mm -hmm. we were charging for our video work. Mm -hmm. And because of that, uh, people weren't really asking us to do classroom videos and that sort of thing because there's just no budget for that. Right. And, um, I mean, at the time, uh, we were less experienced. We were less expensive. But the the time that it took to do a lot of that stuff was a lot more than what what it is now for us anyway. Right. Um, so it was still pretty expensive for them to do that. So we were mostly bo- like, what was your boss? What was his uh, title and sort of background? <laughs> so we were in the school of business. We were part of the center, even though we started doing, and we were still kind of overseeing the 
the research videotaping, which at that time was mainly focus groups. Um, mm -hmm. But I hired students who would run the equipment for focus groups, and and then that kind of dwindled through the '90s. We did less and less of that. Um, but so my boss was the director of the Center for Business and Economic Research, and they were doing business and economic research, and we were doing video production most of our time. And so, so you, you ran know, the show. There was no one to sort of tell you where to put the camera or how to light the set. Like you, like that. You oh. were the person that had the authority and, and the expertise. Right. And I didn't know what I was doing a whole lot, but <laughs> <laughs> I was able to learn the, the first few videos. Um, we still had a communication professor, at least the bigger videos. We had a communication professor that was kind of the producer director mm -hmm. and he kind of gave me more and more autonomy. Um, and then, you know, I just started doing it on my own, um, doing some things well, doing some things poorly. And then over the years, uh, you know, projects required us to, it was just me doing video and right. my students. And there were projects that required me to, um, to bring in some freelancers, and I learned from them as well. Um, so. And one of your freelancers that is, uh, is joining us on the podcast today. Should we let Tyler talk? Yeah, Tyler. <laughs> what's going on, man? What's going on today? With a, so, so, and I want to get, I definitely want to get back to sort of chart the, the progress. So, um, I'll go back to that. But I, I feel like, Tyler, I want, I want talk, talk a little bit about what, you know, how you came to um, uh, be associated with, with Dayton. Well, as all, all good things here at University of Dayton, it, you know, there's always a good story uh, around mm -hmm. community here, right? So um, I actually met Mike uh, about my junior year of high school. Um, he was part of a professional organization here that was in town. And uh, my high school had a uh, full interactive media production class. I was mean, it we, a me was it a professional like a media related video yeah, related? Absolutely, uh, it was all all video related. Oh, that's great! So there's a community in Dayton for people who are in your line of work. Absolutely, yeah. And that was in the early 2000s. Well, now, a, was, lot, a lot of that started if you remember to, to Media fall Communications away. Association, which still exists. Yeah, MCAI. Oh wow! Uh, back then, it was ITVA, and it was mainly corporate uh, video producers. Uh, some I bet news you guys, guys got rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so, so describe that yeah your first your first collaboration so well well I, well I so I met Mike about my junior year of high school and honestly at that point in in the Dayton area um and when you get back to Mike's story he'll be able to tell you a little bit more about this in the Dayton area at that time media production group and Mike's team were really the best of the best in the region hmm. there, you know, in terms of the, uh, the corporate video world and, you know, the long form storytelling and even the short term interview storytelling, there was no other guys in town that could touch the quality and the creativity that was coming out of the media production group. Now, now hold on this one second. Mike, did you do, were you guys set up just as a chargeback unit for the university of Dayton or did you guys actually cover stuff outside of the university? We covered stuff outside wow, as well. That's, that's completely <clears throat> and, and that was, you know, because, uh, we were self-supporting. So mm. we were covering our salaries, everything but rent, uh, okay. you know, even phone lines and everything we had to pay wow. for. So, and, so, and so business so was not exactly uh, sort of, um, arose from the fact that you were actually have, you had clients that were, not, were, yeah, beyond the university. Yeah. So business was not exactly booming here at, mm -hmm. on campus. And so we looked outside to, you know, kind of grow our business and support ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. For all the, for all the agencies in town, every, uh, you know, all the big agencies at that point, you know, Dayton was booming with, with, with fortune 100 corporations. 
And, you know, if you weren't, you know, there was a few sh- few shops in town that were doing the 35 and the 16 millimeter full on productions, right, for broad for mm-hmm. high end broadcast. But if you weren't doing that or your client didn't have the budget, Media Production Group was kind of the only only shop in town to go to if you were looking for something of quality. Mm-hmm. And they had that reputation. So, you know, over my over my high school years, you know, just kept that kept that soft in touch with Mike, you know, running into uh, him and the editor, Brian, um, at these various events. And then by the time I was uh, graduated high school, you know, I moved on to my in my next career move, which was, you know, working for Paramount Parks and then uh, went to film school, came back from film school. Uh, and that was that Savannah. That was Savannah College Great of school. Art and Design. Yeah, wow. yeah I went to, I was an odd duck too, right? I went to a film school and I was the guy in the room when everybody else, you know, the professor would go around on the first day of class and be like, "What's your what's your objectives? What do you want to do?" And everybody's like, "I want to be the next Spielberg, you know. I want to I want to be the next Sam Raimi Corporate or whatever video. or whatever or whatever that was." And I was the guy that raised my head and said, "I want to do broadcast commercials." Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> so, I was the odd guy out in a, a pretty pretty established film school going, "I just want to do some really cool broadcast commercials." I still do I I do work in the film community. I still do some film. I love it. Um but I love the immediate gratification of doing a broadcast piece, right? So doing a broadcast commercial piece, you have much more creativity as well as in the corporate world as well. And as things have evolved uh, through the, you know, after the 2010s and up through today, where, where that commercial, I mean, where that commercial and video and where that corporate video has really gone is, you know, the budgets are bigger and it's really the most opportunity to, to really stretch your legs and have a, create a really great piece for the client, you know, and you're not bogged down by studio reps and directors and producers and all the politics of it all. And it really allows you to be creative. So I've really attached to that through, throughout my entire career is really trying to stay in that, yeah. that kind of corporate video kind of realm. So Mike, how, how then did you d- develop the program to get to the point where you were more focused on what the university's needs was? Did it, did it, did it sort of intersect with the sort of YouTube boom? And now you're like, oh, well, you know, the university keeps me busy enough where I got to sort of uh, put that other yep. stuff aside. Yeah, and we still have some clients outside that we really? work oh, with. Wow. Yeah, but we're 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 not we're not promoting that. We're we're really pulling away from that, and it is exactly so that, that is being it's cut from the the the, uh, the podcast. Then we're going to take that away. <laughs> just in case anybody calls you up and said, "Yeah, Mike, I need a." Actually, I, I was thinking about calling you up. You know, I, I I need a video for the for Northeastern. Can you go ahead and just whip one of those up for us one hundred thousand dollars that's the, <laughs> that's the way we weed out those clients. are you is, are you reasonable are your prices like uh no. more reasonable than maybe the lo- the local boutique um production house Th- this is uh, i'm not good at the business side <laughs> so i never i never charge what we should charge our, our, go- our goal is really to try to be competitive with them well so i will say like when tyler was talking about uh, you know, way back when we first met, we were trying to be that that place that was in between the really wow. high end producers, and I, I felt like our quality was there too, where it was mm-hmm. in between those high end producers that are charging a ton of money, but but better than and more expensive than those low cost producers. Right. Um, but so, um, yeah, Did, we, was there any resentment? You know, like because I I think the undercutting of because yeah. for a long time, you know, I think even this school and I. I think I can say this, that we were paying through the nose for uh, this alumni relations magazine style type. I mean, we were basically paying for somebody's boat and vacation homes, basically like what, what the yeah. university was paying for, you know, this this produ- local production company to do these six, seven, eight minute videos. Well, we're old enough that I don't think we took the business away from anybody because, mm. you know, the I don't know that they weren't doing videos before we were here. Mm. Um, 
but in in terms of resentment for for competing for clients, I think uh, you know out in the community, I think there was a little bit of that. But a lot of the people who knew us knew that we were you know basically like them. We're like a small production company that's struggling to survive, and uh, you know just you know and, and that we're not. I think the the I, I heard more resentment over over universities who had you know, we're using their students and their, their wow. communication department studio and way undercutting prices by just, you know, using the tax people's dollars to, Oof. to, you know, create videos. And we weren't doing that. Number one, we're a private university, but also we had this facility that was not part of the communication program that, you know, we were trying to support through our videos. Did you feel like the pressure of like, we, like uh, the, the type of pressure that uh, independent producer, a, a small company would have that, you know, freelance, it's, it's job to job. Yeah. Where's the next client? Like, are, are we going to have to dissolve? Like, did you, did. Uh, so not the, the one thing I always say is it's nice. So our, our budget was expected. We were expected to, to come in the black, uh, at the end of the year, but we didn't have the month, the month, um, worrying about like, will we make payroll? Because they didn't really care about it until the end of the month. We could run in the red until the end of the year. And then they would look at that it, you know, so we had that kind of the structure of the university to guard us against that. And then at the end of the year, there were some years that we came in red and I didn't, I still got paid. So, mm. so, but by no means not were you this cash cow that was making the university, uh, you know, it was adding to the endowment. No, not at all. Okay. Uh, but, uh, we were, um, you know, but we were expected to, to in part of the business school, especially as we became more of a video production facility and not as much of a research recording facility. The school of business was like, you know, I don't know why we're doing video, but as long as you're making money, you're fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I saw it as like, if, if I continually run in the red, I'm going to lose my job. Um, so I did feel pressure that way, but, um, but you know, not like I had to you know, if I didn't make this year, this month's budget, I'm not going to feed my family. I didn't have that much of a concern. And you didn't have, have to spend a lot of time marketing. You didn't have to go out and slip your card to the, you know, the local coffee shop. There were a couple years where that was a big part of my job. Wow. I didn't like that part of it. I, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert, so I wasn't comfortable in that, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed building that network as well. So kind of a mixed bag. Hmm. So talk about the evolution. Like what, how did, right. How did so we, get we were going to talk we about YouTube. <laughs> yeah. We'll probably get there eventually. And that was really the big flip for us to do more internal stuff. Having that really before that, um, uh, we started doing videos. Uh, I'm going to say 2005, 2006 for the university's website, webpage. Um, and, and at that time we were, uh, they were a, a separate department. You know, the communication department was, uh, the university communications was paying us to do the videos. Um, but we were creating videos. We were putting them up on the webpage as flash videos. Mm -hmm. And they were features on faculty, staff, students, alumni. And, uh, and then we were using Limelight, which is a content uh, delivery network, to, uh, you know, stream those out to... Um, uh, you know, around the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really when we started doing more and more videos for the university. And Did then go ahead. And then as, as YouTube, well, it's funny. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you mentioned when we were 
you know, emailing back and forth was that, uh, you know, what our, our first videos and what were we doing with the, with the first videos? Um, I look, I had to look up our first video on there and it's a student produced video. Oh man, you should totally take credit for it. It's, it's actually pretty, like, <laughs> well, as far as first videos go, I was, I was impressed. Yeah. I watched it and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. But it was not, it was a student produced video for the IT department about, uh, making sure you save so when your computer crashes, you don't lose all your files. Um, but, uh, and so actually before that, we were we were posting videos on a different channel mm-hmm. because somebody had claimed the University of Dayton, you know, YouTube slash University of Dayton, uh, basically a cyber squatter. I think they had no videos up mm-hmm. when I tried to contact them, they didn't respond, um, and so we started putting videos up on a different channel, uh, and then a couple years later, or maybe a year later, um, someone else here at the university was able to through YouTube get that channel. Okay. But we originally we were you know we were posting videos on our website. We didn't we did we didn't really see we we saw YouTube as there's this new kind of video platform out there and maybe we should be there, you know when and I think other people at the university didn't really get it, didn't really get the importance of it. Right. And we were and so they were saying, you know, when I search University of Dayton on YouTube, all I see are party you know there's a couple party videos. So you know why do we want to be there? And I'm like that's why we want to be there. We want them if they're searching to find positive messages about us and so um so, so we you're, you, t- you had a you had a strategy from the beginning which i think is i don't know i can't speak for everybody um but i feel like a lot of universities were using youtube as a place to uh, dump everything so that they had a link you know so that they had a link they could send somebody to watch this video yep instead of putting stuff out there so that you know, people who were yeah looking for more information about and, and wanted to see and and hear and experience beyond what what a traditional print you know article could could produce. There's some some stuff in those early years that is you know intentional and it's not just like uh, right. adding to. At that time, it wasn't quite as big of an abyss, but. Yeah, right. Just adding to the noise. Right. So we really, you know, we were already producing these features for the website. We took a handful of those that we felt were the best and, and, and really the most, uh, you know, broadly had the big, most broad appeal and put those on what was the University of Dayton Stories site mm. uh, since we didn't have the University of Dayton uh, YouTube site uh, channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, yeah, we put those out there as a way that, you know, people are searching for us. We want them to discover some, the messages that we want to share. And then at some point, at some point, and I don't, we were trying to remember when this was and what exactly our strategy was, but at some point YouTube became viable enough at, you know, in quality that we decided let's get rid of this content distribution network and putting our stuff up on flash and use YouTube as our distribution uh, network. And, and one of the big things was as mobile started becoming more prevalent, um, we saw that as a way of, we don't need to, we don't need to figure any of that out. YouTube's going to figure it all out for us. Hmm. And you, I don't know if you remember, you know, back when YouTube videos first came out, they looked pretty crappy. Yeah. And so, you know, when, th- when their quality improved and we, s- we saw that as, you know, this is a real option for us, we made that switch. 
And, now, and, and Vimeo what, was what, around, oh, and, and Vimeo was ahead of YouTube in quality, but we were also, you know, trying to just organically find people, um, you know, just so we, we wanted to be where the eyeballs were. Right. I, th I think the, the one issue, though, and I, w I want to know how you sort of address this, is that especially if you're sort of a chargeback unit, you don't get necessarily, and, and, and I, w I want you to tell me, uh, get to determine the kind of projects you're creating. So whether or not it's YouTube worthy, and I think back in the early days, there there was no there really were no criteria it was if you if it was a video just it you youtube is is fine for that you know there was no um i think now we have to sort of make decisions based on whether or not does this really like why would we put this in a, on a public platform public platform assumes that people might actually be interested in watching this and i don't like i don't know who would watch that and and when you don't have sort of control in that strategy if you just have someone you know from another school or college and uh, or an administrator saying i want we want this video then the, the only kind of stuff that you're producing uh you don't get to determine whether or not it it's it's it suits the channel right so but did you have that uh, enough autonomy where you could say well we're going to create stuff that's specifically for you know the for the channel yeah great question and so this i i I don't know how to answer it because there was an evolution here. So mm -hmm. uh, we didn't start the, the University of Dayton channel when that, when that was created or when we got uh, possession of that. Um, we had a guy that was uh, manager of digital innovation or something like that, and he wore a lot of hats. Um, and social media was kind of one of them, but he wasn't really, he wasn't really charged with creating content. Um, he was more charged with figuring out all these new social media channels and figuring out where we should be on them. So he got, he got control of the, of the YouTube university of Dayton YouTube channel. And so he posted that first video, which was from a student. Mm -hmm. And then he was trying to, I think at that time, um, I'm not sure what all the benefits were for having a, like a educational partnership. I'm not sure exactly what they called it, but there was some kind of YouTube was really trying to get educational content and share it. Mm. And, um, I think one of the, one of the advantages was, uh, that you could post videos longer than 15 minutes. Mm. And at that time, normal channels couldn't do that. Um, and what they wanted from a university channel was educational content. They didn't want promotional content. So the person that was our, um, you know, was doing this strategy for, um, for digital innovation uh, was really looking for educational content more than promotional content. Wow. So he was posting makes, a lot. I mean, which makes sense, right? I mean, I think it still makes sense. Why on earth would you put a commercial and expect people? I mean, they do. I, it just so happens that people do watch commercials on, but uh, you yeah. know, higher ed commercials. The expectation that, I like, I would set aside time to watch an ad from my alma mater or someone else's alma mater is kind of ridiculous. So yeah. the, this idea that oh. A university produces stuff where people might learn something from it. Yeah. Doesn't seem that like <laughs> yeah. you know, revolutionary, but I think in today's context, it actually kind of is. Right, and we still have some of our most watch uh, videos are some of the ones that are lectures, especially if they're famous people. I'm not sure what that gets us. I mean, it's exposure. It's getting our name out there. 
Um, I'm not sure if it doesn't help uh, if those videos, you know, if, if so, if somebody's one of our, we, uh, Sir Ken Robinson was here. Uh, mm -hmm. He talks about creativity and education and, you know, how we're doing education wrong in the United States and that sort of thing. Um, and he gets a lot of views all the time. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at that now. It's a 54,000 plus. Um, yeah. That's that's number four on the list. Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's w by contract, we were only allowed to put the first 15 minutes of his speech up. Um, but people, are, yeah, people are watching it. And so uh, I, I imagine people are finding that because they're searching for Sir Ken Robinson. Right. Um, so I'm not sure if that helps us in any way in terms of getting our message out. Well, does that tell you something about, how, like, if, if your your strategy is a little more shrewd and it's about getting views, you know, it doesn't, doesn't that suggest, well, what makes sense is to try to find some tie-in for what people are already searching for. Right, because, it, we, because if you look at yeah. across higher ed, you look at what the most viewed stuff... I mean, I'll, I'll let you take a guess. What do you think it is? I, I mean, imagine it's commencement speeches. It's commencement speeches with, with someone Steve, well Steve Jobs, Steve yeah. Carell. You know, like that's yep. that's what that's what it is. Yeah. But what's attracting them? Is it really the is it really the commencement speech or is it the celebrity? It's the name, of course. It's exactly. the name. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the speech is just so. I mean, they. I think the difference between one that goes gets ten million views and one that gets fifty thousand is like how good it is. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I mean, I think I, and there's some value there. You know, you're 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 this this university has brought in this person that you admire, or you know, for some reason you're looking at their video. Um, so there's some kind of positive connection there. Oh, absolutely, and there's association. I mean, he would he, he visit. Yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't argue with that. I think there is value, definitely. Yeah, and especially if it's a smaller school that you haven't heard of, and yeah. suddenly you hear of them, especially if they're an alumnus. Yeah, I mean, you've university. got this Irma. I see this Irma Bombeck. Uh, video you can write yeah i mean it's a little more modest uh, in terms of, of view count but yeah there's that association Ty tyler were you uh were you, would you ever consider yourself a you know maybe grew up more in the youtube generation or were you a youtuber user were you someone who subscribed to things um you know checked frequently with it with what different channels were producing yeah i mean across the board as a whole um I would say yes, absolutely yes, right? YouTube really launched while I was in film school, right? So I was around a whole community of creators that immediately saw YouTube as an innovation platform, right, for creativity. So mm -hmm. we were, it was very much all over. It still very much have been. And, you know, I even got to experience a little bit what Mike was saying, you know, in the agency world that I was in and with the Paramount theme parks after, after the film school era, you know, I remember with a couple of clients dealing with the YouTube reps and, dealing with the partner channels and you know if anybody built a partner channel at that time it was a little bit involved and in some cases cost over six figures to get that 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 that, that channel bought um but youtube at that point was actually incentivizing uh all types of content creators to create educational content mm. um speaking back to mike's place and they were incentivizing you know my clients and a, a lot of uh, the agencies with uh, create educational content and we'll give you higher rankings in your searches mm -hmm. right because they they at that point they were actually flagging videos that youtube editors liked to show up in top search results and show up as recommended videos right mm -hmm. youtube has evolved throughout this whole generation uh as well and it's 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 been a lot to keep up with 
right, throughout the years as, as YouTube continues to evolve and they change their strategies. You know, they very much started out as an as a educational platform and now have moved very much into the entertainment space. Right. You know, so what's really next for YouTube? Because as YouTube's evolving and changing, it's changing our strategies very fluidly along the way, right? And 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 University of Dayton does a really good job with videos and Mike's team of, of really trying to flow with those changes. Mm. So, you know, as it started to make more of a change to an entertainment type of platform, you know, that changed how we started to think about videos, how we started to produce videos and the type of content that we were creating to reach these prospect students. So this evolution is just absolutely nonstop. Yes, for a university, you have to have that blend of educational content, promotional content, but we also find that it's great to have in that blend some, you know, non-hard sell videos, right? Things that are just more right. general awareness, right. general education around broad topics or around a higher education experience. Um, for instance, you know, we did a series on finding your fit. What, what should prospective students be thinking about when they're looking at universities? Is that your, is that your target audience? Or I mean, if you're the central video production unit, I mean, the, the, I'm sure you would say that it, it's, it's, it's more diverse than that. But um, how, how would you sort of prioritize who you're who you're making videos for? Right. Uh, probably alumni, I would think, is oh, our really? biggest. Yeah. Um, just because uh, I think keeping keeping people engaged in the university is going to pay off long long term. Um, we're definitely interested in in. Well, so yeah, I'm going to back away from that a little bit. I think. For sure, prospective students is a lot of what we make videos for. Um, I think th those are more. I don't know that they're gonna come. They're gonna go out searching for videos and find us, um, you know, and be watching our promotional videos. Uh, that's probably more so if they're actually engaged in looking for a college. Mm -hmm. And probably a lot of that is they're coming to our website. So we want to have videos for them that tell the story of who University of Dayton is and whether it's a good fit for them. Um, and I, I think a lot of them will find them on our website or if they're coming to the university Facebook page to look at the college. Um, so it, it's definitely a mix. Right. I, 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 I just wonder if, um, well, if you're, what I've noticed, and I, I think that based on the change, and, and I like hearing that you guys are actually uh, aware of what changes YouTube uh, is making and are, are trying to adapt so that you continue to stay relevant. Cause I, I, I don't know, again, this is an observation. It's not everybody, but I think some institutions are just sort of abandoning it because what they're seeing is it's harder and harder to, you, you know, you don't get that gratification, that instant gratification where you post something and you sort of the view count starts going up. Like uh, yeah. they're really, and it's not just Facebook that's squeezing, you know, the YouTube link, posted on Facebook, uh, those views go way, or the, yeah, the, the exposure is way down, but I, yeah. it just looks like you post something on YouTube and it, and for the most part, it just doesn't perform nearly yeah. as well as when you post natively to Facebook. So I don't know, I get a sense that people are starting to abandon it as a, as a platform. Um, certainly not taking it as seriously to create, to try to drive people to it, to try to drive people to subscribe. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, I reached out to, to you, Mike and, uh, and, and Tyler, is that there was a, uh, a subscription video, like a, a YouTube channel trailer. Yeah. That 
I had, I hadn't seen one of those before, um, from, from an institution. So the, the realizing the importance of subscribe to us. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know that do people know that when you subscribe to a channel, people get notifications when you post new stuff. Right. Yeah. And so subscriptions are, we want to increase subscriptions of people who actually want to see our content, obviously. Um, that's not the most important thing to us. Right. Uh, so, you know, each video is, you know, has a different purpose and, you know, whether it's to live on a website, um, for a particular program, um, or if it's to, you know, uh, go out on YouTube and, and try to generate a lot of views. Um, so, and, and some of them, you know, they might only be interested in that, in that video or that program, and they're not going to be interested in all of our videos. So we are trying to drive subscriptions. It's not the most important thing. Right. And the channel trailer was actually the guy that I mentioned who was uh, in charge of digital innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at that point he was running the YouTube site and he asked us to do that. And we thought it was a good idea. We don't see a lot of conversion yeah. from that to right. subscriptions. I don't know that people, a lot of people are seeking out our page and, and you know, landing on the page as opposed to, you know, just typing University of Dayton in the search and you're going to find other videos. Well, know? again, to stress, like that is the that is the reason to take YouTube seriously because um and, and again, it's uh, YouTube sort of has control over this, but what's going to pop up when a prospective student types in your you know, your your institution's name into a Google search is it some other um third party who's done like the the tour video of Dayton and the student perspectives from Dayton or is it the one that you actually you know, you created the piece. Right. So and that's, if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to see somebody else might, right. Or you're just, or you're, there is not going to be your, your, your voice is not going to be heard. Right. That's, and that's something that I think everybody should be looking at. So I just, <laughs> I know I've looked at it before, but I just tried it again. So the first vi first thing is actually our channel that comes up. The second thing is a, a video about our campus that we produced. The third thing is a day at Dayton, which, uh, it looks like uh, a party. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned this uh, uh, part of the um, strategy being educational content. And uh, one of the other, th in addition to the channel trailer, one of the other things I was sort of impressed by was this, um, you know, when you click the uh, playlist, and you see then the first playlist that pops up is this, or the second one, uh, this 90-second lectures. Yeah. Which I love. I think th I, um, they they've been around for a while, and you actually re you just posted one not too long ago. Yeah. Um, so so it's there's some like long term consistency there. So so there are two things I like. One I like sort of the the, the subject matter. This this that a university is trying to create something that has some informational value, and and then yeah. also a touch of education or uh, entertainment value, which I think you're you know sort of playing to the strengths of YouTube. Yeah. Um. And and then the and topics that are sort of you know searchable like the. So I watched yeah. the Why Does Everybody Hate Nickelback? You know, from an academic yeah. perspective, that's kind of an interesting, uh, yeah, interesting topic. Right. That's actually the that might be the first one that we said. This would be a good topic. Let's find somebody to talk about this. The other ones were really talking to deans and, and other people and saying, who could do something that's really interesting? And then going to those people and saying, what, what are you doing? What are you finding in your research that's interesting or that's 
you know, that, that, uh, is, uh, you know, that people are surprised by, or, you know, that you think could make a good video like this. Um, so the Nickelback thing was one that we actually said, we should do one on this. Let's, uh, <laughs> it seems like a, you know, debate, heavily debated thing. Let's, and I think we're a little bit late to that, that game because Nickelback is fading in popularity, but we, and it's funny, we went to the music professor and he's like, oh, this is great. I, and he covers, uh, you know, he researches on popular music. And he said, this is great, I can do this. And then he, when he got into it, he was like, uh, really, there's a lot of bands that have similar musical styles. And so I can kind of talk about, you know, you know their post-grunge and, their, and, and yet they're overproduced and that sort of thing. But really, it's more of a psychology thing. So then we brought in a psychology professor and she talked about the psychological factors mm-hmm. that are there with, uh, especially with people that, you know, once, once uh, there's this uh, groundswell of people hating it, then you want to you conform with that. But Anyway, yeah, so the 90-second lectures was something that we were trying to, to entertain people and also feature some of our faculty and really just to kind of get the university's name out there a little further. Yeah, and with that, though, there's still an underlying uh, strategy there for reaching prospective students, right? right? One of the things we want to do in creating some of this educational content, or especially around the 90-second lectures and a, and a few other the videos that are out there on the University of Dayton channel, is creating content that high school educators might be willing to use in their classroom, Hmm. right? Supplying them with materials. It's another way to get in front of those prospective students in a classroom environment in a different way. Hmm. I mean, are you actively partnering with it? Because I think if you wanted to take that strategy even further, it's, you know, working with them to to talk about topics um, that, that would be of interest. I mean, I think, I think, we do a lot of we do a lot of research around that, yeah, right? So we do so so we don't necessarily partner with any higher ed institution, right? I mean, um, any high school institutions because, you know, each state is regulated differently in terms of their educational requirements. So mm-hmm. we just do a lot of so what we research we would do locally here may not apply, you know, out on the west coast. So we do a lot of research, uh, research based around what are educators using in the classroom? And more importantly, what kind of video content are they using in the classroom uh, mm. to help supplement their curriculums? So Tyler, are you, uh, um, are you col- uh, collaborating on these 90-second uh, lectures as well? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, the reason why Mac, uh, Mike, most, Mac, Mike most recently pulled me back in was, uh, you know, start Because out, I was overwhelmed. Yeah, I was overwhelmed, <laughs> and you know, I. I had positioned myself uniquely in the agencies, uh, these digital agencies. Uh, I saw this convert, you know, YouTube happened. Saw, I saw the convergence happened. And then I started to move very quickly into how do you create engaging video online? And then that led into me holding multiple positions as digital strategist. Um, I'm analytics certified. I'm deeply rooted in all of the tracking and analysis of all of this, as well as the research. So it's that creativity and that analytical mind mashed together and that's really what Mike pulled me back in. You know, you pulled me back in here for, and for the first few months. It was literally just doing research analysis, looking over analytics, looking at our channel analytics, looking where we can make shifts, what's working, what's not working, what lengths are working for certain content, what's not, and really starting to take an analytical approach to some of these strategies. Without, uh, you know, giving away the, the, the recipe, the secret sauce, is there anything you can share with, uh, with sort of your colleagues across higher ed and, and what you're finding is is working well i mean not maybe even just beyond you, uh, youtube obviously facebook videos um are doing you know yeah, I, quote unquote <coughs> better but uh yeah i this i've 
I probably should just pretend like we know what we're doing. But uh, when you first reached out, I was like, man, I don't know if I have that much insight on YouTube. We're still <laughs> trying to figure out what we're doing. And because it's uh, kind of a, the way we're, we're um, uh, distributing videos that people want out on the web, we're posting lots of videos that stuff that we didn't even produce. A lot of those we keep unli unlisted if we don't think it necessarily puts the university in the best light. And maybe it goes well on their website, you know, because it's about their program or whatever. Um, but it's not necessarily we want to share out there through our right. YouTube page. So th they're just unlisted and they can embed it on their web page. Mm -hmm. um, and we're still kind of wondering, you know, what content should we be putting up there? Uh, for example, we put a whole bunch of videos up. Um, actually, our, our university archives put a whole bunch of videos up that they had of this alum from like, what, 60 years ago yeah. doing news interviews with all these famous people. Wow. And we were like, oh, man, what is all this stuff? And uh, they actually get quite a bit of views. Now, again, I don't know if that's helping the university at all, uh, but they are drawing people to our to our channel or mm. to our videos. Um, what is it? But what you is asked about you asked about, you know, strategy and especially when it comes to where do we post things? We've started, to, you know, with YouTube now having the videos play, uh, you know, play on, on people's timelines. Um, We've started posting to both, yeah, right? Because um, now we know those Facebook views are inflated. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I feel like they've kind of brought it back a little bit. It seems, it seems that view they're they're taking accurate view counts a little more seriously. That again, I, I've that's just a, a feeling. I I, I don't so, know. You yeah. might be right. I mean, slightly they're getting there, right? In terms of Facebook analytics, they present you view counts in two ways. So one is a three second view. So, mm -hmm. uh, so they count that as a view after three seconds. And then they give you another report around, okay, this is how many people watched it for 10 seconds or more. Right. Um, and that's kind of their middle ground of saying, Hey, yeah, people are watching your videos. But as we know at a three or a 10 second, we're not telling a story. Nobody's consuming any content in that amount of time. So it's still a little bit of a, a wild west in terms of what that Facebook analytics looks like. And if we want to lay, put another layer on top of that too, in terms of social media is Instagram. Right. Instagram is known for being the worst platform in terms of reporting and analytics. Mm -hmm. So we're very conscious about when we complete a piece, you know, where is it going to go? You know, does elements of it go to Snapchat? Do we pull out elements of it for Instagram? Do we put the whole thing on Facebook or do we do a custom Facebook edit? You know, what is that? What does that start to look like is what we're still trying to figure out. The other nice thing with Facebook now is that now that you can put captions in there, um, you you can you can put the you can load the captions, and then if somebody's just looking at their timeline in their timeline without the audio, you can have that um, you can have the captions, and then when they click on it, they'll hear the audio. And I think our we need to work more closely with our social media manager, um, who we uh, have kind of a new hire that's social media manager, and um, uh, but I think she said that nine percent of the people that watch a Facebook video that have watched ours actually w listen to the audio. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of them are just either scrolling past it on their timeline or just just watching it without doing the audio. And and I think that's a that's a trend across not only higher ed. I just think across the platform. Definitely. Um, unless it's unless it's a like a minute long like a fail montage it's you know people are yeah I, or or some you know like a, a clip from jimmy fallon or whatever um 
you know, don't don't get your hopes up. But I think right. I think from what my observations is, yeah, you know, might might not be getting the views on YouTube, but they are they seem to be like higher quality views. People are watching more of it. Um, well, at least they're watching it, right? Because we did we did some earlier tests earlier this year between you know what does a YouTube link on Facebook click through rate get versus the actual native Facebook, and you know people are not clicking on the YouTube links at least in terms of the University of Dayton channel. Uh, so the native upload into Facebook, you know, really was for us that that's the decision we had to make. You know, we have to upload natively to Facebook. Yeah, it adds an extra production step in, in post, but not a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And just making sure it's getting to the right people and then making sure that that video, right, because it starts to become a larger a larger web here, making sure that that, we're con- that content we're producing is working well with the overarching social media strategy, um, which the university is still, you know, working very diligently and, and constantly evolving that strategy. So it's it's about learning to play well now with the rest of the university because we can't just keep pumping out just unlimited amounts of content with no expectation of somebody to watch it right Mm -hmm. so we need to always come into it with this is the audience this is what we'd like to get out of it this is what we're looking for people to get out of watching the video and these are the platforms that it's going on and also how do we start this video and you know it's okay if some some people don't watch it um but if this is something that we know especially for student audiences if we know that they're only going to watch a you know the first 10 seconds then what do we put in those first 10 seconds? It's either going to draw them in or that they'll get the message or at least part of the message in that beginning. And then Um, the other piece is, you know, YouTube is still relevant because, uh, you know, Facebook once, uh, you know, a couple days go by, that's that's pretty much the life of it. Whereas on YouTube, it can live on. Yeah, I I don't, I mean, now that Facebook's changed the look of their um, fan pages with the, with the tabs so that the, I think I feel like the video tab is a little more prominent. So there there may be more sense of, you know, this is a destination. People might go to this as sort of a gallery. But yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, once once that video is out of the timeline, it's pretty much out of people's field of view. Right. Right. Um, I, I, I want, uh, you've given me so much of your time and really so much, I, I think, pretty useful insight and i think that people will yeah will find um interesting and hopefully be able to apply some of this um what are some changes you feel like you'd like to like if you could sort of implement some sweeping changes uh, into your strategy or or if there's one little tweak here or there in terms of the kind of stuff you're making um you know, what, what, what changes you can make. And it could be logistic. It could be, uh, we'd like to shoot on a different, um, you know, use different technology or just, this is the kind of stuff we want to continue doing. You know, one of the things that I've been looking for, and if, if people have ideas on this, I'd love to know, I'd love to see some examples is, um, creating some more authentic videos that are not highly produced. And I I don't want to, I don't want to like, uh, say that we're not important anymore. (laughs) I think there's still a place for highly produced stuff, but, um, and we've done a little bit of that. Uh, we've got a, we actually have a video, um, with, uh, someone that who took selfies throughout the year that we're going to be releasing soon. Um, but also we have, we have some departments who, you know, our, our position here has evolved. And, um, so now we actually are part of enrollment management. And so, you know, we're, we're still charging for our services on campus. The stuff we do for enrollment management, they're paying, they're kind of paying us for, but it's just kind of internal money. 
but we have some freedom to uh, create things that we think are going to be valuable to the university. Um, but, but the other departments we still charge for. And mm. so there are some departments who come to us and say, like, for example, Religious Studies wanted to create a video about their department, and they didn't really have the money for us, for us to do it. And they're saying, you know, can we just create something on our iPhones? And my answer is, yes, you can, but please don't try to make it look professional because it's not going to look professional. So how can you do it in a way that is, is you know, the, the type of thing that students would post to their Facebook, would post to their Instagram? Um, so what kind of content can you create that's more genuine, that's more authentic, that's more like a student talking about their program? And don't try to make it look professional. Try to make it in the moment. And uh, I've tried to find some examples of that and haven't found many that, that are good. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you think, uh, and Tyler, please weigh in on this, do you think that if you're really going to do something that's in that style, can a you know, higher ed marketing, should the higher ed marketing team be charged with you know, scripting, producing that content, or is, or is just even that connection um, sort of undermine the whole objective, which is just to, to be a little bit more authentic. Like, can you create stuff yeah. like a student would create without letting a student create it? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've been trying this a little bit over the past year. Um, but I mean, the most important kind of element out of all of that, and I think a good piece of advice for anybody working in video and higher EDU is you're on a university talk to the students, listen to the students, let them be your barometer for where things need to go. Don't let your unknown fears scare you from not wanting to move into a new platform, not wanting to try something different, right? Because a lot of the stuff that we do in terms of trying to create authentic videos or looking to create authentic videos is we start right here with our own students. We go and look at what are students creating on campus already and what are they putting on YouTube and what's getting views. And then we go talk to them, right? We're already here. We're on campus with them. We'll go find that person, right? So, for instance, we have a happy video from Pharrell that a student produced that we actually put up on our YouTube channel. Created we, tons of views. We didn't even know she was doing it before. She didn't even know she was yeah. doing it. We put, it, you know, made it way over to Mike, and we got it up on YouTube, and we saw it take off. So what did we do? We went and tracked down the student that created, and we talked to him. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Seventh, seventh most viewed video. That's yeah. Right. We went and talked to him. How did you do that? Why did you do it? When did you shoot it? How did you get those students involved? Right. And just really talk about a lot of that. And so for a lot of these authentic videos that we've been creating or trying to create lately, we're working with the students. Right. Mm. Because it's, it's one thing for a production crew to show up and expect students to be cool and authentic and natural when you have literally full production, Kino lights and fluorescence and we're going full production out those students aren't going to be natural. So a lot of times we use our students to help get those students be relaxed, help encourage students to show up to some of these larger shoots where we need groups of students and things like that. So it's not always the old stodgy production guy standing there trying to direct a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. That's me. I'm the old stodgy production guy. <laughs> yeah, just say Mike. <laughs> well, it's not that. You know, I mean, I'm still fairly young, but I mean, to, to these students, I'm, I'm an old guy. Right. Yeah, I mean I, that makes sense. If you're, I mean, especially if you've been folding the, the enrollment management and st the students are your audience, you gotta really, you can't do it unless you know what what platforms, what content, what yeah, what what what's working with them, and to try to sit in, in a conference room and 
try to figure that out. And the other thing is know that the students are going to, they're going to see through, you know, your marketing message. So right. the more you can try to be genuine and then, you know, that's always a challenge. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta tell your marketing message, but the more you can figure out what's special about your university and you know, how you can tell that in a genuine way. And, I think and that's the more, where, yeah. And the more you can get the student population on your side in terms of the content that you're creating, you know, you're, you're creating a broader reach, right? Cause if the, the students that are currently attending the university are wanting to share that content, wanting to show how cool their university is to everybody else, you know, they got to be on your side. You have to be creating content that they like and that they enjoy and that they want to share. Mm. I think that's a great place, uh, a great place to sort of conclude. Um, guys, again, it's such great insight. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next steps are for you. I'd I, I love, love to see more 90 second lectures. I think those are fantastic. Um, yeah, Thanks. but just as you, as you continue to, to adapt your strategies. Um, yeah, the challenge with those is, uh, you know, a lot of things, a lot of the videos, we, most of the videos we do, we script and those, uh, you know, we go to the faculty and say, at least can you get us an outline and you know, right. they're busy. This is not really their priority. So that's always been, that's been a challenge. That, yeah, that's, uh, I, I had some follow-up questions, like questions specifically about that, about, you know, um, do faculty, uh, how do you get faculty on board? Um, yeah, what's your process? Because I would imagine when you're dealing yeah. with their area of expertise, like how are you supposed to script something that, you know, like you, you basically have to sit in on their lecture for it for a semester to, to, yeah. to really wrap your head around it. And so then, hey, you've been researching this for five years. Uh, we're going to do it in 90 seconds. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's a that's a that's a story for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully yeah, we, we, we can uh, we have an opportunity to circle back. Um, but yeah, again, thank you uh, so much for your time and and uh, yeah, keep up the good work. All right, thanks, Joe. Thank you. So if you're uh, still listening, it's likely that you're finding at least a little bit of value in the podcast. And if that is indeed the case, I encourage you, please spread the word on social media about what we're doing. Tag video for colleges. That's the numeral four instead of the word in your higher ed video tweets. I'm also trying desperately, probably a little too desperately, to make the H-E-V-I-D, H-E-V-I-D, or H-E-V-I-D hashtag or or a thing. Hasn't really caught on yet. I'd also be grateful if you'd uh, rate and review the show on iTunes. As of this recording, we have not yet received enough ratings to display an average so, you know, maybe yours will be the one that puts us over the top. Finally, uh, feel free to send your feedback directly via email to joeacase at videoforcolleges.com. This time the word for is spelled out. You might have something you'd like to discuss on a future episode of the podcast. To that I say, be my guest. I, um, you know, reach out. Let's, let's do a podcast together. All right, until then.